0: Before the game kicks off, let's ramp it up with college football overtime. Here's, here's, Here's Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome in. We are
1: college football overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon. And we have so much to get into because it is championship weekend. The biggest games of the year have finally arrived. We finished up with rivalry week. We know who's undefeated. We have a chance to have four undefeated conference champions for the first time since 1992. It's a damn near unprecedented thing, but it is possible now that we've arrived to conference championship weekend. Everything that was speculated, everything that we thought might have happened, throw it out the window because we are here finally, and the football is finally going to be played. We've got Georgia and Alabama, Michigan and Iowa fighting for the the, the Big Ten title. We've got Louisville and Florida State in the ACC. We've got Texas, and we got Oklahoma State in the Big 12, Oregon and Washington, in the Pac-12. Fascinating matchups all over the country. Friday, yes, we have a Friday game, and all day Saturday, we have tons of college football that we're going to get into. But before we do all of that, we got to break it all down right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast, and that's where you turn to myself and Abe Gordon. But before we get to those games, i got to bring in my co-host, Abe Gordon. First and
0: foremost, man, how you doing, and can you believe we finally made it to the end of the season? I'm doing well, dude. Like it's finally here. No more hypotheticals. No more scenarios. <laughs> we're gonna talk about the games. We're gonna watch the games, and we're gonna know who's in. It, yep. it, it just it's finally time to 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 settle the score on the field for all these teams who can play their way in. And there are uh, as many, and we've talked about it before, eight ranked teams that still have a, a shot, depending on what sort of chaos we do see, that potentially could play their way into the college football playoffs, So so let's kick off and, and, and see what's what after this weekend.
1: Absolutely. we And honestly, I'm tired of the scenarios yeah, and the speculation and too. everything
0: else. We can actually watch the football, and we can see everything happen on the field. I think it's going to be very clear, by the way. I, I don't think we enter think so. Sunday morning. You know, the committee announces noon. I don't think we enter with this or that, or could they go that way? I, I think it's going to be very clear, uh, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, and that's why we're not going to get into scenarios on this podcast, because the actual football will dictate
1: who belongs in the college football playoff. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, if Bama wins and so-and-so doesn't, and then this no. happens. I'm not doing that on this podcast. You've heard enough of that on on Twitter, we'll uh, know. through other, other, everything else. We will know, we'll know definitively. Yeah, we'll I know. firmly believe we will know definitively by Sunday afternoon. By the time at noon, uh, no, it strikes noon, we'll know who the top four teams, at the very least, will know the top five. And maybe there might be a little bit of something here or there, but for the most part, I think we're gonna we're gonna know where this thing is going to fall. But tons of exciting matchups, Abe, like you mentioned, like I mentioned, and we got to start right here in the southeastern conference. We are in the city of Atlanta. We are blessed with some of the best college football in the country. I, I firmly believe it's the best college football that the good Lord has offered uh, all of us college football fans, and we get to see the very best of it in the SEC title game right here at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Uh, Nick Saban has had a very strong history in this game and in this city. He's 10-1 and in SEC championships games. He's won his last 10, by the way. So he's he's 10 in a row, mind you. He's won 16 straight games in Atlanta. So that includes Chick-fil-A Peach Bowls. That includes national championships. Some of those national championships played against the Georgia Bulldogs. He's also 4-1 against Kirby Smart in his tenure at the University of Georgia. I feel like this is a storybook type of moment for this rivalry. And yes, it is an absolutely, it is a rivalry between Georgia and Alabama. Abe, just just bear with me for a second, because I'm going to put two scenarios in front of you and, and tell me that they're not storybook. Nick Saban, after being knocked down, gets to climb back up on top of the mantle and decree that he is not yet retired. This is the final chapter, and he's going to dictate how he goes out. Meanwhile, Kirby Smart, the young protege, the Padawan, he officially snatches the SEC away from Nick Saban. While he's in his prime, while he's at his best, Kirby Smart takes it away. He takes that championship belt. I think it's
0: fascinating. Well, you got you got a, a situation here, Garrett, where Georgia feels like they have taken that mantle. But then you have to remind yourself, they've never beaten Alabama in an SEC title game uh, with Kirby Smart. And and that's what you're looking at here. And look, this is a rivalry, a matchup, which has for the last five, six years, kind of decided the eventual national champion. Uh, And and it almost feels like we're watching that uh, unfold uh, uh, again this year. This is the
1: 10th straight game in the SEC title game that has had one or both of these teams in it by the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's been wild. And so, um, yeah, there, there is a, there is a changing the guard situation here. If Georgia can, uh, not only three with the national championship, but do so by knocking Alabama out the way. And then uh, as you mentioned, the situation with Nick Saban, uh, the only course. So not so fast, my friend, uh, here's your reminder. Uh, look, those are off the field storylines, but the on-field storylines are equally as interesting. You've got, um, some of the best players in the country lining up on Saturday. Obviously, Brock Bowers a little bit banged up, but he'll be out there ready to roll. Carson Beck, man, what, what would a big performance for Carson Beck in this game do to his potential draft stock? Uh, mm-hmm. And look, a little bit too little, too late for Jalen Milrow in terms of the Heisman. Um, but what a rebound. What a second half to the season he has had. And what it all boils down to is a situation that I have been building up for six weeks, Garrett. I mean, safely. Someone is going to put an end to Jalen Milrow hitting on big plays. I didn't know if it would wait all the way until Georgia. It almost mm-hmm. happened a week ago. I just have a really tough time in this game believing that Georgia is going to allow receivers behind them. They're going to have busted coverages, uh, and they're going to allow Jalen Milrow to beat their defense, their secondary, with downfield throws. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there's no path to victory for Alabama. Obviously, Milrow and his legs are a problem, and Georgia understands that they're going to be a problem. As much as I criticize Jalen Milrow on his short passing and intermediate routes, he has improved. He has improved. Mm-hmm. Still not you know, elite. But he he throws an elite deep ball. He has improved, though. And and so it's going to be interesting to see if Georgia can force Alabama to sustain drives, if they're able to do that. Because if Jalen Muro's hitting on the short and intermediate passes and Georgia maybe needs to change up how they're defending him as a passer and he's finding lanes as a runner, it could be a very interesting day and night for a Georgia defense. It isn't quite as elite as they have been, in recent years and obviously that is countered with a Georgia offense that is more elite in my opinion than they have been in recent years uh going against an Alabama secondary that's had some ups and downs but a very Mm -hmm. good front for Alabama as well so one thing that you said about the
1: the 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 deep passes that Jalen Milrow loves yeah so I saw the stat earlier this week and I I made a note of it I don't know if Uh, I want to hear it so Jalen Milrow on 20-plus yard yeah. throws, has a 55% completion percentage for 1,200 total yards okay. and 15 touchdowns. He's only thrown one interception. That's 47%. 47% of his total yardage has come on
0: plays of 20-plus yards. That is fascinating. And, and how many touchdowns did you say? Did you say 15? 15, so he's 15 only got touchdowns in total. Total passing. So, like, even if they get into the red zone, like, uh, that's probably but they where don't do a lot in the red zone. That's no. not
1: how they do things.
0: They don't. They, they don't sustain drives. They don't get mm-hmm. into the red zone. They strike from outside the red zone. If they're in the red zone, they're running the ball. Yeah, they, that's what I'm talking about. And, and you know, when you get to these margins, because Alabama can't compete with Georgia. I of mean, name they for can. man, they could compete with Georgia. And when you get down mm-hmm. to these margins, settling for three as opposed to taking a touchdown could be the difference in this game. And if Alabama has problems doing that, uh, you know, it gets interesting with the numbers. That's that's a great set though. Good work.
1: Yeah. And that's one place where Georgia is not exactly elite. They are elite in a lot of different areas, but one place that they are not is allowing touchdowns in the red zone. They are, I think the sixties in all of FBS in terms of allowing touchdowns and they allow a lot of points when they get down there. This is not an Alabama team that does exceptionally well necessarily, but it is an edge for them in that category where UGA is elite is on third down and not allowing explosive plays. They've allowed 35 total this year, 35 total. That's it. And so Jalen Milrow, a guy who cuts his teeth in connecting with those deep passes, those are going to go away. And you're not really going to find that sort of success against this Georgia secondary, who is really one of the only defenses that can go man to man with yeah. every guy on that team. And, and they could just go legitimately man defense. They don't face like Jalen Milrow and company, they don't face a lot of man defense because most people don't have the ability to rush for and keep guys back, you know, like and still get pressure on the quarterback. Most teams have to send pressure. And this Georgia defense, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, talent aside, and Kirby Smart and everything else, is the fact that they are able to drop back people. And then when, when he tries to complete those short to intermediate passes, they just rally up and make the tackle and that's it. And they don't miss tackles. They're very sound. Fundamentally, this is a group that won't beat itself. And one of the things that we've seen with Jalen Milrow, especially in recent weeks is if he's playing some of these more susceptible defenses, like the Kentucky's, the LSU's, et cetera, he could beat them. And I'm not going to say he's been step padding I'm not going to say that at all because he hasn't, he's an exceptional talent. And he's really good. And this surge that he's had is because of the way that he has played. But at that level, you're not going to be able to just pick it pick apart a secondary, even though I don't think that Georgia is going to be able to be getting effective pressure on him on a, a down-to-down basis. That is one of the things that's really plagued Alabama this year. They're 115th in sacks allowed, which is just dreadful, by the way. It's dreadful. And I feel like there is an explosive game for Georgia coming as far as those edge rushers are concerned. We haven't seen that yet. But we saw the way they played against the Jackson Dart, who I think is probably the most apt comparison to what we've seen from Jalen Milrow, that or maybe a Haynes King that we saw at Georgia Tech last week. Both of those quarterbacks had decent days. Haynes King especially played pretty mm-hmm. well. A lot of those on designed runs, less so on scrambles that Jalen Milrow is going to be doing. But I think this is just fascinating. And I think you said it really well. This is a game about who has an edge. Who has the edge? Because you you were talking about like margins that are this thin because I think these are the two best teams in the country right now. Alabama is surging. They've got a defense that's playing at a super high level, but this offense, like you said, is the best that they've seen outside of an LSU. And this Georgia offense is right there on par with anything that LSU can do. You've got what Brock Bowers, Dom Lovett, Marcus Rosemy, Jack St. Ladd McConkey, Ra Ra Thomas. All of these guys can beat you on any given day. That's before you get into that backfield of Kendall Milton uh, and, uh, Dajun Edwards yeah like this is a really talented offense I I think this is fascinating I'm so excited to watch this football game but I don't know who has that edge
0: yet yeah the other aspect for for me is I think Georgia can win this game offensively in a a number of ways Alabama's defense is not elite on either side of the ball they do have the 15th best Passing defense in, mm-hmm. in the country, only 36 uh, rushing defense. And, yeah. and this is a Georgia team that in recent weeks, uh, Kendall Milton has really, one, gotten healthy and, and then two, exploded. Uh, and you bring the combination of Milton uh, and Dejon Edwards, as you mentioned, in uh, you could probably have success there you you mentioned uh Bowers and Ra Thomas and Jack Rosemead, Jack say I look I don't know if uh, McConkey what his health status is going to be after missing a couple games but other other guys are going to be there we've also seen the uh development of Dylan Bell uh in recent <laughs> weeks step up mm-hmm. and just add to the weapons that Carson Beck has it's going to be a big challenge it, it probably the first big challenge for this Georgia offensive line Carson Beck hasn't been touched uh i, I think there was a quote after the Old Miss game where an Old Miss staffer said we didn't we didn't touch Carson Beck I don't mean we didn't pressure or, or didn't sack him. I, we didn't lay a finger on his Jersey. Um, Look, if that's going to happen, George is going to, going to have an easy time. Uh, They got to get pressure. Alabama does uh, off the edge with guys like Dallas Turner. They may even need to use uh, some blitzes, which, which uh, from time to time they do um, to, to, to put pressure on Carson Beck, because uh, we've seen uh, plenty of examples If Carson Beck is standing back there He's going to pick apart a defense. And I've said this for about three weeks now, because I finally realized what Georgia's offense was. In my opinion, they are the best combination of explosiveness and efficiency. That's Mm. what makes them so difficult to defend. They can beat you on three levels with Carson Beck. They can go deep. They got guys over the middle and they got screen passes and intermediate short routes as well. Uh, And he finds the right pass. And as you mentioned, especially on third down. And that's what's been an absolute backbreaker for teams trying to get Georgia off the field. And he's so good, even in third and seven, third and 10 false start, maybe it's third and 12. He still finds the right guys. And look, a lot of times that guy is Brock Bowers, but in recent weeks we've seen Dylan Bell make some big third down catches. Yeah. We've seen lad McConkey make some third down catches and, and, and you can continue down the list. It's so difficult to defend Georgia. Because there's no one you can really key on. And I know Brock Bowers, like obviously you can't let Bowers go off for 130, right? But with Alabama, it's so simple to me. And look, Jason McClellan is a good running back, doesn't really terrify you. Um, the guy that terrifies me is Jalen Milro, yeah. specifically with his legs, because I think Georgia can do a fair job defending them straight up with the pass. You mentioned the explosiveness out of the or pass rush. For Georgia, I think it's it's almost less uh, in terms of just make sure he doesn't escape. Just make sure he doesn't hit the pocket. And then if you are Georgia, it's just a question. And I don't know if Jamon Dumas Johnson is going to be back or not dealing with his injury. But C.J. Allen is an outstanding athlete. Are you spying Jalen Milrow? And if so, are you using C.J. Allen to do so? Uh, do, do you add another safety in the game to do so? It's going to be very interesting to see how Georgia does uh, try and defend Jalen Milrow. But if they can bottle up Milro, I really don't know what the plan is for Alabama because I just don't think their run game without Milro is strong enough to find the success you're going to need to beat Georgia.
1: I'm interested. Yeah. I'm very interested in this game. It's the line, it opened at, I think, three points uh, in favor of Georgia and has slowly grown to about six and a half, um, which I feel is a little inflated. Uh, I, I don't.
0: Like I, I would feel comfortable big. at seven or seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm, really right really. uh, you're a little bit more oh, I, and game. i say that because i i think this could be a close game there's no doubt about it sure. but if it's a blowout i, I don't you're think it's a, it's a blowout for it, alabama there's only one
1: going one way if it's a blowout
0: right it, 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 oh george there's a there's a real scenario where georgia limits alabama's run game mm-hmm. Jalen miller does make some mistakes there's some pressure and they get like 17 points and alabama's and I'm not saying this is how it's going to play out. I'm just saying there's a scenario sure. where, where Alabama doesn't affect Carson Beck. And the run game works, and you're looking at like 35-14. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a real world for that. Um, now, I expect it to be a lot closer. I think Nick Saban keeps it close, um, just just him alone being as good a coach as he is. But uh, I'll be honest. I just do think that Georgia has passed Alabama. And look, this game may stamp It may prove me wrong. Uh, this Alabama team is playing as well as they have at any point all season. It may prove me wrong, but I really feel that, that Georgia just, they found another way to get to this point in the season with a chance to three Pete. And and I just think it's going to be incredibly difficult to get in their way.
1: Yeah. And I feel like Georgia's found this sort of system right now. The defense is playing at a super high level. Um, I think the secondary is not going to allow big plays. I think the, The offensive line is the best in the country. Uh, They have great skill players on the outside. The running backs are good enough. I think Kendall Milton's found his stride. Yeah. At the end of the day, this comes down to, if I'm just looking at Georgia, it comes down to Carson Beck. Yeah. And if I'm looking at Alabama, it comes down to Jalen Milrow. And I feel like that's such a lame. When has
0: football ever been
1: simpler? It's, I feel like that's so lame, but at the same time, it's these dudes, man. Yeah. I have not, I've seen jalen milrow in this spot probably once this season where i feel like this was like a real like a spot where he needs to show up like and he needs to be big the first time we saw him was against texas and he didn't show up right he had the home field with him and everything else and he just couldn't keep up. He's a different player since then. And of course you can point to
0: LSU or any other. I, I, think he saw, I think he's, I think he needed that, that Jalen Milro at the back end of the iron bowl too. And I, I don't mean I just so. the last pass, but, no, but leading course. up to that too. But I agree with you.
1: But on the other hand, Carson Beck, we haven't really seen him in these situations. He's played one top 40 defense and that was Missouri. And that took some, some late game like, heroic, not heroics, but like late game high level play. From the quarterback at Georgia, uh, yeah, cause, I, I, cause really I disagree.
0: That. I think there have been scenarios and situations this year where Carson yeah, Beck has another up. one, yeah, exactly Alden's
1: one that you can point to. He's the, the done it a few quarter. times. Yeah. He's done it a few times, but he's only done exactly. it once against a top forty defense. Exactly. Yeah, he's got another one coming in that he has to face on Saturday, and I think, like you said, the pass rush is huge for Alabama. If they can get some pressure on him, I think that is a major key. But Abe, let's move into the Big Ten because Michigan and Iowa are playing in. One of the weirdest, most lopsided games that I've seen. It's, I have a feeling this outside of, let let me ask you. I don't know if if Iowa's going to be able to score. There's there's a prop bet. There is a prop bet right now that says in the first half, Iowa's going to score over or under 0.5 points. That means, are they going to be shut out or not, Abe? That's how bad this offense has been for Iowa. I know you have a take that you're going to take. I'll let you do that here in just a second. Michigan's a 23 point favorite or something like yeah. that. It's ridiculous. This is embarrassing. Iowa, if you, their best chance to score is on defense or special teams, not when their actual offense is on the field. That's how far we have fallen. Iowa has changed what is imaginable from a college football team and not all in a good way. I mean, I had our Mac or our, our uh, performer of the week last week, and I said it was just their defense because they're one of, they have like what? Five, six, seven wins, eight wins this season. Having scored twenty points or less, no other team has more than two. It's unbelievable. You have eighteen points per game on offense, and you're in the the uh, conference championship game at ten and two. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it it, it's a situation where, and and this is your your question. You always ask it specifically about Georgia, but I have to turn it around here. And look, I think Alabama has an answer, and we just talked about that, but. When you look at this game, what is the path to victory for Iowa? And it's just so far-fetched. I mean, it really is. Michigan's a good defense. I think we saw that a week ago in the win against Ohio State. Iowa's not a good offense. There's another bet for the individual team over-under for halftime for Iowa that our compadre on Saturday mornings, John Fricky, sent out at two and a half. You know what that tells me? They're more scared that Iowa's going to get a safety than they are a field goal. Like, like, that's what Vegas is telling me. It's more likely, and you just mentioned it, and you're <laughs> dead on accurate. It's more likely they score on defense than on offense. And, and it's just, unless Michigan just walks into multiple defensive or special teams touchdowns, if this is an offense versus defense, defense versus offense game, like, they're going to roll. And, and there there's a real likelihood this thing's a 20-point spread by halftime. I, I, I just... Look, respect to Iowa for what they've done this season. But I just have to be realistic. And look, you play the games, and who knows. But even I'm finding a tough time making this one interesting, man. I really am. I'm I'm sorry to the listeners. But, like, I don't know what you want me to say in this situation. Like, Vegas is telling you it's a blowout. Everything I've seen Hmm. from Iowa tells me there's no way they're scoring 17 on offense. Uh, and, and Michigan just, just, just has been doing what they're doing. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I there is no path to victory, like like none. That 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 I don't see that, how they win. That is a normal game plan path. Like maybe punt return, <laughs> block like, punt. Like mm-hmm. if I if I'm Iowa, like you may as well just go for it on fourth down. I don't care where you're on the field. Like if it's fourth and two, just go for it. This is the kind of game.
1: This is the kind of game that that Ferentz needs to just throw everything that he has. I, I I don't know if there's a trick play buried deep in and maybe five of them. Run of those five of them. Cornfields they've got up there. Back to I, back I to back
0: to back to back. Run all of them. I, I don't
1: know. Like, I don't know. Everything that Iowa does on offense is it, it feeds into a strength of this Michigan defense. We know how good this defense is against good offenses. Once this game's ten nothing.
0: Once this game's ten nothing, Michigan, it's over. Like, like if Iowa lets yeah, it get to double digits, if it gets to, to double digits, it's over. It to 14, double digits. Three, it's over.
1: Yeah, if they get to fourteen points, I, I don't believe that they're able to do it. That's How bad it is. So, I, I I agree with you in the sense that I really don't see a path to victory for yeah. Iowa in this game.
0: <sighs>
1: Not a normal one. No, it, 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 it one. would be.
0: Ca- the, there this would have the to chaos. Game. Chaos. Yeah, this is the chaos game. The only way they win is ultimate chaos. 23 and a half points, though. feels a little disrespectful. Well, I, like, look, hey, if you want to take the points, I get that. I'll take the points. Like, we're that's talking about who wins straight up. It's got to be chaos.
1: Moneyline, betting Iowa, you're, you're gambling on J.J. McCarthy playing the worst game of his life, which – I don't know, he hasn't really been Superman necessarily. He has to been... throw like
0: five interceptions. Like he has to
1: throw so many intercepts, Like not five. Like, come on. Like well, is on. Iowa
0: returning them or or is Iowa tackled at the 40? Because if I was tackled yeah, at the, the 40 after thing. a pick, it's just a punt, anyways.
1: Yeah, they'll probably punt that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what
0: I'm thing. saying. It's... it's
1: like I've watched enough Iowa games this year to know that they're not gonna win this game. And I've watched like what, four or five Iowa games this year. It's watching paint dry. I mean, the way they win this game is if they just muck it up so badly that your final score is going to be like 13 to 10. But I don't see Michigan scoring 10 points. No, That's my I pick. don't either. Yeah, I agree. I could see them getting into the 24, 20 make like 28 level. The closest of-
0: this game could be is like 24-13. Yeah. Like, like even that would be like closest- uber competitive for what we expect.
1: And at that point, like, this is the thing, like Michigan's necessary, like keys to victory is just play their own game. Don't turn it over. They're fourth in FBS and, and giveaways. You know, they don't, like, turn, the ball they don't over, turn the ball over. They forget just about don't. It. Forget like, about they it. They don't turn the ball. They're fourth in FBS, Abe. They're fourth. They don't give the ball away. So don't, and then don't let Iowa run the ball, which, you know, the only thing that they do particularly well is run the ball the Wolverines are seventh in FBS and yeah. yards, yards, yards per game allowed. Like, I just don't see it unless Deacon Hill is just all of a sudden going to put on his Superman cape. Like, unless he's playing, he he's, he turns from Clark Kent to Superman or he or, averages 88 yards a game. So I that, have the key. Against not good teams. He has six interceptions this year for seven touchdowns. Like, the, there's nothing that Iowa does well enough. And I, I feel like I'm just burying Iowa because I, I just realized really the difference
0: good. in this game, Garrett. I just realized it. Cade McNamara was a quarterback at Michigan who was on Iowa this year. And yes. if he Connor Stallions this oh, thing, Lord
1: have mercy. Get out If he Connor
0: Stallions this thing, I don't know. <laughs> All
1: right. No. You don't no, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm not okay, going down that okay. way. I'm not going down that path. I, I know you're trying. Look, Michigan, play your game. If Michigan plays their game, they roll. Yeah. I, like, I just, I don't know if they muck it up enough, maybe, maybe but I, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend let's that they're, yeah, let's that they're really good at this. I'm going to move on to the ACC, a game that I think is a, a bit of a toss up because I don't know, man, I feel like Florida state's in a bit of a bad spot. I really feel like they're in a bit of a bad spot because this is a Louisville team that when they come off of losses this season, which I'll be not often, they come out and roll. Like we've seen them against, good competition and then they, they generally roll and they like to play that explosive passing game with Jamari thrash. And then they handed back to George Jordan, six and a half yards per attempt. Some of the best in the country, Jack Plummer. I need a big game from him. Uh, if Louisville wants to win this football game, because this is the Florida state pass first It's pretty good. And he said he had, they had three turnovers last week. Plus they turned it over on downs again against Kentucky. It's a rivalry game. Weird things happen, but if you're gonna be turning the ball over, you're gonna give this game away. Uh, but if I'm Florida State, I, I really don't know what to make of Tate Rodemaker's performance. I, I think he you know, so in, court, in quarterbacks, like when in I, practice, I'll tell you because when, I was when they're in practice, they wear those green jerseys, they, the non contact jerseys, and you see people flying around you, but they don't hit you, right? Early in that Florida game, it felt like he was just everything was happening so fast. He settled in a little he bit. He grew as the game throughout went on. that game
0: quite a he bit. He grew, he grew quite a bit. Yeah. And
1: Louisville can get after the passer pretty well. That's where I get, that gives me pause because this isn't one of those games where going to be able to drop back and have time in the pocket to, to get, get the ball to Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. I need Trey Benson to have a big game. So those are my two things. I need Jack Plummer to play well and not turn the ball over. And then I need Trey Benson to win the day. That's your, those are your two guys.
0: Yeah, you hit on the key matchup to me. Uh, if Trey Benson does what he does he did against Florida, which was ninety five yards, three in uh, three touchdowns uh, yeah. on, on under twenty carries, they're winning this game. Uh, I, I mean, look, Louisville—that's the matchup. Louisville's twelfth in the country against the run. They they allow under hundred yards per game again uh, to the opponents running, uh, hmm. and and so th- that's the big matchup to me. Um, and, and it's kind of similar to what I said about Florida State against Florida. Is let let your guys do the work. It's not on Rotomaker's shoulders to 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 win this game. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Wilson was outstanding in, in the game against Florida. Big man target. Keon Coleman stepped up in the second half, and then as you mentioned, Trey Benson. Let your guys do the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for Louisville, it's two things. You mentioned uh, the loss last week. The health of of Thrash and Jawar Jordan. Where how close know. to one hundred percent? Um, and then the other aspect to this is, and this is the last thing I'll say on this game, and I'll let you respond. I I, I know it's a neutral site game. It's in Charlotte. Um, but Louisville away from home has been less than impressive. And, and so you have to ask the question about what level of play they're going to have uh, in a neutral site. It's going to be ugly weather-wise. Rain is expected. Uh, so we'll also see how that may play a role, too. Ooh, I haven't actually checked the weather yet. That's a very interesting one. Yeah, so
1: if they're not able to, to keep those explosive plays going, if the weather is so bad that they can't really get that electric passing attack going, that's an interesting thing to watch. Um, So they have they have the one neutral site game this year where they played against Georgia Tech, which is, I guess, a neutral site game if you really want to call it that. Look, Georgia Tech's pretty good, but, but they barely won that game. They dropped 39 they- points. Like that's yeah. the thing though. Like, but that, that was also just in not very good Georgia tech defense. I'm, I'm not going to pretend here, but it, it's a, at the end of the day, it's like, I, I think Florida state's in a bad spot. I think the matchups favor Louisville in this game. Um, because normally at the end of the day, it's like, like if the matchups would have favored them, even if Jordan Travis was playing in this game, but I would have sided with Florida state because you have the dude. You know, because you have the dude, and this yeah, is an agree. illusion. Agreed. This is this is a, a little precursor, a little foreshadowing to what we're going to talk about with the Pac-12 title game. You have that dude playing quarterback for you, and I'll let you determine which 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 team I'm talking about there. You have that dude playing football for you. That's the difference maker. That dude is not playing football for Florida State on Saturday. That's the difference. This is a Louisville team, which, respect to your Florida Gators, is a much better football team a much better football team all season, a much more consistent football team, a team with actual like legitimate playmakers that in the pinch you can turn to. I know who those guys are for Louisville. I don't know if Florida state's dudes are necessarily going to be enough to overcome the loss of their chief dude, you know, Jordan Travis, like he is such a parent. He is paramount to what that offense wants to do. When Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson go down, that was the difference, you know? And I feel like at the end of the day, it's like Florida state is favored in this game. They're favored in this game. But if Louisville doesn't lose to Kentucky, which again, at the end of the day, they lost. So I'm speculating and this is all ridiculous and not based in reality, but they win last week. They're coming into this game and they're favored. Tell me I'm wrong.
0: No, I, I I agree with you. I I think the loss of Jordan Travis is, 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 wildly uh, understated in terms of, I understand he's not the greatest quarterback in college football, but I I think what he meant to that team um, and and the chemistry he had to make those guys the playmakers they were, uh, you just can't recreate that. No matter how good your arm is, uh, if you're automaker. And so it's going to be interesting. Look, they, they, what they don't want to do is is force him to throw the ball more than he did a week ago. He, He threw the ball 25 times. And that's probably on the high end. Uh, if you're having success running the ball, that, that's your path to victory if you're Florida State. Uh, yes, you want to get the ball into the hands of Wilson and Coleman and, and even Jaheem Bell at times, too, because he's a matchup issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 you've also got to protect your offense and, and limit your your output and potential for mistakes. And, and that, unfortunately, means Rotomaker shouldn't be throwing the ball more than 20, 22 times in this game. And if he does and is efficient when he does, um, that's how you win if you're Florida State. I think this is an interesting game for Jeff Brom,
1: his first ACC championship, Louisville's first ACC championship game appearance since they joined the conference about a decade ago. Um, they have a chance to have their first 11-win season since 2012. You got a lot on the line if you're if you're the, the Louisville Cardinals. You can really throw the conference for a loop if you go out and beat Florida State because if Florida State wins this game, they're in the college football playoff. Ignore the naysayers. They're ridiculous. They don't know what they're talking about. There is an undefeated conference champion. An undefeated conference champion is making the college football playoff. Don't get it twisted. Uh but that said, this Louisville defense they played really well early in the season. I think they've regressed a little bit recently. I don't I'm not going to sit here and speculate as to why because this is an this is a defense that allowed Virginia to average 6.4 yards per play. Miami averaged seven and a half yards per play and Kentucky averaged 6.2 yards per play. Those three offenses, which I would say none of those three are necessarily world beaters of offense, they averaged 31 points. So there's been a little bit of regression from this Louisville defense, but I think Jeff Brom and company on offense, that is where the difference is going to be made. Uh, Abe, did you have any more comments on this game before we move on, real quick?
0: No, I look. If if Louisville has more explosive play, I, I think this may be uh, an explosive play game, whichever team. Yeah, because if Florida State can get that out of Wilson and Coleman, because Roddymaker's finding them, it, that that's going to greatly. But uh, on the flip side of Louisville, who's just generally an explosive offense, uh, if they can get their guys going for long run, long passes, get thrash in space. Same with Jordan. I, I mean, look out. I think this
1: makes for truly a fascinating football game. But Abe, let's move into the big twelve conference because the longhorns hook them horns, right? They got a favorable matchup against Oklahoma State. We talked a little bit about one team having super favorable matchups and edges or whatever. I don't really see an edge for Oklahoma State that doesn't involve Ollie Gordon. um the do it all do it all running back who's been shut down a few times this season, which gives me some pause. Oklahoma State's in a bad spot. This is a Texas defense that is fifth in FBS in total rush defense. Ollie Gordon, of course, I mean, he's been a freak of nature. I mean, he was my early pick for the Heisman Trophy going back to, to mid-October. I thought he was having the best season of anybody in college football, but that was before they went on the road to Orlando and played UCF. Uh, look, he's fifth in FBS for attempts, 245. He's first in rushing yards per game at 131.7. He's uh, 100, or excuse me, He's 25th. In yards per attempt, six and a half yards per attempt, and he's second in touchdowns of 20. Dude's a freak. But outside of Ollie Gordon, eh? like, is Alan Bowman, he scored, he's had 300 yards of, of offense throwing in his last three games, but he also has six interceptions in those three games. Like, if he turns the ball over at any level in this football game, he's over. Like, I don't care what any, anything else that happens. If he turns the ball over, it's over. But Texas is the 95th ranked secondary. Can Alan Bowman get you over the hump?
0: Yeah, uh, look, his touchdown to interception numbers are skewed because of the six interceptions that you just referenced. He actually throws uh, for more yards than Quinn Ewers has uh, on the season. And and I know Ewers played two fewer games. I know. I was I was getting there. Let me let me work through my let me work through my opinions here. Uh, (laughs) Quinn Ewers missed a number of games, but but Bowman Bowman is not. Look. I agree with what you said. This is a game that starts and ends with Ollie Gordon, but don't also just blindly look past the, 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 the throwing offense for Oklahoma state. Um, I do think, and look, if you hold Ollie Gordon under hundred yards, they're not winning this game. He's got to go for a buck 50. I totally agree, but I do think there are situations where Bowman could catch you once or twice. And if they hit on, and they're going to have to hit in those situations this can be a better game than people think. Um, I still wonder about Texas's ability to run the ball. They, they've been okay since Jonathan Brooks went down. Um, but but I do wonder about that. Uh, and there's a little bit of Alabama field of the Texas offense. A lot of broken coverages. A lot of guys wide open down the field. Uh, and I'm still not exactly sure how dominant Quinn Ewers can be in this game. Uh, Bowman's a guy that's been around a, a long time. Uh, He's been in the Big 12, it seems like, seven years when he hurt himself with Texas Tech way back when. And and so he's got some experience. You're right. He's got to be better with the ball. There's no doubt about it. But I do think he can have an impact in this game. And Mm -hmm. and so I do want to – I just want to caution you on that. I think Bowman can have an impact in this game. But when all is said and done, I I agree with you. This is – if Ollie Gordon's over a buck 50, Oklahoma State can win this game. If he's below 120, I don't know if they can. And you hate to make it so simple because there probably are a lot more variables here. Um, But that's as simple as I'm going to make it. If Ollie Gordon goes off and has one of the games that got him into the Heisman discussion, Oklahoma State's winning this game. Uh, And if he doesn't, they're not. Um, And it's going to be very interesting to to see because Texas has got to just devote. I mean, and that's where it gets... Bowman thrust into playmaking ability. Texas is going to devote everything they've got to stopping Ollie Gordon. So what does that open on the back end against an already, as you mentioned, suspect Texas secondary. It's not going to be there all game, but the few times you're taking shots, you've got to hit those big plays. They have to, they have to, because I think
1: I don't fully agree with um, your comments on the, on the running rushing game. I really don't. But For Texas, you mean? For Texas, yeah. I don't agree necessarily. I mean, C.J. Baxter, I mean, of course, he came in and he was put into a big spot as a true freshman. Um his last, great the first four game. Four man, games, last four games, though, he's had 90 yards. He's had 61. He's at 117 and 45. I mean, he averaged 4.5 yards per carry, or excuse me, uh, five yards per carry against Texas Tech last week. They didn't need him. He scored 57 points because they hit everything else. Everything else is working. You pulled him out of the game. It's over. Like he's your, he's your belt. But he also doesn't have to be a bell cow. He just needs to spell the passing attack. That is Quinn Ewers. It's Xavier Worthy. It's AD Mitchell. It's JT Sanders. It's three guys who have over 500 yards. Like like that's the thing. I'm not looking at CJ Baxter to be a bell cow. Like his predecessor was before the knee injury. Brooks was a beast. And Brooks was huge when Quinn Ewers went down, but they don't need Brooks. They don't need Baxter. They need somebody who's in the backfield spelling that offense or excuse me, the the passing offense. Yeah, that's what they need him to be good enough. And five, five yards per carry, six yards per carry over his last four games tells me he's good enough. That's all I need from him. At the end of the day, that's it. All right. So. That's it. I mean Oklahoma State, the defense is not going to be good enough well, to slow down. Uh, let me, and let that's me. why that's why I think it's a lot more complicated than just Ollie Gordon going wild. Ollie Gordon can go for 200 yards in this game and they could still lose this by 21
0: points. This they is the worst defense that we are talking about. Uh, Oklahoma they're State is awful. worse than Louisville by a long shot. Uh, they're obviously not even in the discussion with Georgia and Michigan no. and Iowa and Alabama, even mm-hmm. Washington. They are by far the worst uh, defense that's in a power five conference championship game this weekend. And you're absolutely right. It's a huge concern. They're terrible against the run. They're they're probably even worse uh, against the pass. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're in rush yards per game. They're 113th
1: in yards uh, through the air. They're 126th yeah, tra- in explosive plays. It's atrocious. I, I don't think they, they're not going to be able to stop Texas. Like no. at the end of the, like, all you have to slow the game down, and Ollie Gordon has to touch the ball 40 times, like 35, 40 times, like an obscene amount of times. <sighs> Oklahoma State's not winning this football game.
0: I, I would just be, I don't, think I would so be
1: hard pressed. You would need quid years to have adjusted. Well, uh, let's just skip here. Let's just skip day. here.
0: Real quick, we'll rank Iowa, least likely to win. Oklahoma State, probably of the power five, the very next team that's least likely Certainly. to win. Certainly. And, and that's where we're at. And, and by the way, it's not it's not a huge difference between where Iowa's chances to win and and, and texas or excuse me oklahoma state's chances to win i mean look Iowa's was a 23 point dog uh, oklahoma state's 15 and a half so that that tells you what you need to know
1: it does it doesn't and, and like but they, they have somebody at least who i can point to and say that's a dude that they have there's always a chance but,
0: one guy goes off iowa doesn't have sure. that i agree with you
1: I just don't see that. I don't and, either. I don't either. Yeah, and that's just where I stand with these two teams. I think this could be a competitive football game for a little bit.
0: We, we've also seen back-to-back weeks where Oklahoma State started very slow and had to rally. Mm-hmm. You uh, cannot do that. Houston and BYU, you're not doing that against Texas. Mm-hmm. You can kiss that game goodbye. No, I, I think
1: I, I I hesitate to say this, uh, but I feel like their Super Bowl, their biggest game of the season, was Bedlam. They've been hungover ever since. Yeah, it's been. It's been a lot of downhill since then. And that was a squad if you that looked to... like it was building and building and building for that climactic moment, and that was bedlam. And then it happened too soon in the season, and now everything else feels like they've been scrambling to pick up the pieces ever since that game.
0: I think and... we can make a definitive statement here. If you had to pick a team or, or one of the game that's going to have a bigger margin of victory, is it Michigan-Iowa or is it Texas-Oklahoma State? Texas-Oklahoma State. Okay, and I, I Texas, feel the same way.
1: I think Texas... I respect Oklahoma state. I like, but, Oklahoma but, State. They, uh, were, now, I, they were one of my picks to, to make this yeah. game early in the season. There is a very good chance that this game just gets so out of control that it's just yeah. a, a sheer blood. Texas but is I, looking for blood. Texas has heard everybody who's been talking about how Alabama might make it in over uh, or Alabama might make it in over them. Despite the early season result, they have, I guarantee you, they've heard that and that is going to be fuel for them on Saturday.
0: So I agree with you, and this is the last thing I'll say in regards to the, the the Big 12 and the Big 10 title game. I think Texas has the highest potential for real blowout. Yeah. I don't think it would take the chaos that Iowa would need for Oklahoma State to win this game. I think there's a lot more of an mm-hmm. actual football path. I see it as unlikely, but there's an, there's at least football stuff as reasoning. Iowa's just complete chaos. I could not possibly agree, yeah. Ray. I love that we're on the same page.
1: I love it when we agree. <laughs> it makes life a lot easier. Hey, Abe, let's move to the Pac 12 conference. It's our last one. Oh my God. Like this has been technically I'm still it's the blown first away one. Though. That, I'm still blown away. I'm still blown away that we're here. Uh, but believe it or not, this is the only rematch that we yeah. have in, on conference championship weekend. So this is the only game that we can definitively say, hey, these two teams have played each other. This is what happened in that game. This is what we might be able to expect in a rematch. And in that game, we saw the quarterbacks just with a, a truly spectacular duel. Bo Nix, 33 of 44, 337 yards, two touchdowns. Michael Penix, though, the beast of the West Coast, 22 of 37, 302 yards, four touchdowns. Did have two interceptions in this game. Uh, look, I've been, I've been giving Oregon a lot of love all season. Yeah. They were my preseason pick alongside Texas and uh, Ohio State and a bunch of other teams. They were one of my picks to make the college football playoff at the beginning of the season. I've been giving them a lot of love. And in this game, they had two turnovers on downs. In the red zone, they had the missed game-tying field goal. And then they outgained Washington in this game, 541 to 415. They outrushed them. They scored. They rushed for 200 yards in this game. They held Washington to under 100 yards in this game. I said on College Football Game Time, I said on this podcast, I said that they, that Washington didn't win this game and Oregon lost it. I thought Dan Lanning overcoached, but at the same time, am I giving Washington enough respect?
0: Yeah, I, I, because I feel the same way in, in regards to Oregon, and, and, and I'm. It's kind of a cop out to talk about the play on the field because what Oregon, in my opinion, what Oregon has done and what Washington has done since that game are completely opposite. While Washington feels like it's a nail biter every week, no matter who the opponent is and Oregon uh, has been handling business. And I know their win over USC wasn't, like, dominant, but every Mm -hmm. other game score-wise has been dominant. And it feels like where Washington's defense has slipped a little bit from where we thought they were early in the year, Oregon's has stepped up even further. And same thing offensively. And I know Washington got a couple guys back healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a question for me because the way the teams are trending right now Uh, Oregon is a better team. And that doesn't mean they're going to be better on Friday night. But the way they've looked over the past six weeks or however long it's been since their first matchup, Oregon has looked to be the better team. But the question remains, who learned more from the first matchup and who can implement and change uh, a couple of things based on that first matchup? I I think Dan Lanning has to, as you mentioned, be very aware of some of the mistakes that not his team, but that he made in this matchup that cost his team the game, because I feel the same way. I thought that was a game. Oregon was the better team. uh, And the scoreboard didn't reflect that when all was said and done. But you're talking about Michael Penix, who's played some big time college football over the Mm -hmm. last two years, who's made some big time throws. uh, And he's kind of fallen out of favor in terms of the Heisman look. And you have to wonder, uh, obviously you've got the college football playoffs uh, on mind, but you've also got some Heisman stuff uh, in discussion, especially with Oregon quarterback, Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. Um, but Penix has made some big time throws and he's got an NFL arm and, and they're going to have to take advantage of that because Oregon's defense has ramped it up the the run game. Uh, I mean, everything, a- everything from Oregon has looked national championship worthy uh, since their loss. A- and it's going to be interesting to see Washington. It- it- it's not, we've seen them do it right, but they've got to raise to the level of their opponent. Uh, a lot of times we talk about teams playing down to the level, They've got to find a way to raise it back up to a a level that they haven't shown, in my opinion, in a number of weeks. And we're coming off they play Oregon. Yeah, exactly. And we're coming off back-to-back weeks where you had a good look at these two teams against the same opponent in Oregon State. In Washington, and I, you took it right to the end. I know it was a road game. Oregon, you flipped that. It was a home game. But Oregon absolutely dominated this team. And look, maybe, maybe Oregon State was uh, tailed between its legs after Washington got them. And, and maybe that helped how the Oregon game looked. But that's a rivalry game. And we saw a lot of rivalry games against teams that are not on the same level be a lot more competitive than the one Oregon. Fa- I, I just, mm-hmm. Oregon is playing at a level. That if they can sustain it one more game and then obviously you get into the playoffs, can you continue to sustain it? But if they sustain the level of play that they've shown, I think it's going to be very tough for Washington. And for Washington, their passing game, their passing attack has not been where it was in the first five or six games of the season since they beat Oregon. They've got to find a way to get that back. Uh, Roma Dunze obviously has been outstanding. Uh, But you got McMillan back healthy. Uh, you got to get him back into into play. And I will say this. Uh, It was very wet and rainy uh, in the game against Oregon State. I think that limited Washington quite a bit. Uh, Obviously, this game here, Allegiant Stadium, Las Vegas, uh, weather should be outstanding. Uh, And that's what you want to see, in my opinion, for these two high-flying teams. I want to see them at their best ability. Um, and, and I think we do get that on Friday night. But, I, but man, look, Washington may win this game and, and they're right there. And they're a very good team. But I, I just have been so impressed by Oregon and what they've done since that loss, how they've rebounded with this complete dominance week in, week out. Sustaining that level of play has been incredibly impressive.
1: Yeah. Oregon feels like a program trending up. Like you've said, they've won six straight games by an average of 26 points, Abe. Washington, not so much. Eight wins in a row have come by 10 points or less. But at the end of the day, they've won. And I said this on Twitter. They're the first team since 2010 to go perfect in Pac-12 play. That's a meaningful stat, and it doesn't matter if you win by a point or 50. A win is a win. It's just college football, man. I mean, crazy things have happened, and they've avoided that avoided that just insane, crazy ending where they've come out on the losing end. They have the second-longest winning streak active in college football right now behind only Georgia, who's up to 29 games, which is just an incredible number. Um, but once said, I do want to throw your way, Abe. And I want to ask you this, if it's a relevant fact, does it matter that this is a rematch? And do you wait the loser of that team? Do you think they have an advantage? I'm going to, I'm going to, before you answer though. So teams that have lost in the regular season have won more times in the rematch. Uh, as regular season losers have a record of 16 and seven in postseason games. Conversely, rematches that occur in conference championship games have winners of the first game possessing a 34 and 23 record. Do you think that matters at all?
0: I do think that this being a rematch matters, but I'd be lying to you if I told you that I know it favors Oregon or favors Washington. I think it's about the coaching staff. And what they learn from, each, uh, from that uh, game mm-hmm. and how they could apply that to their game plan the second time around. And, and I think the team that does that better um, is the one that will win not just this rematch, but uh, most of them. Mm-hmm. I think finding weaknesses you didn't find in the first game is one of the keys. And it, it, this is about preparation. Uh, this is a, it's a rare game where I think the teams are close enough that this may actually come down to coaching. A lot of times I think the players decide it. this one may be decided by coaching and, and who responds from that first game to this game uh yeah. in a better manner on behalf of their team. I think it's a fascinating matchup. I mean, Um, here's the thing I'll say about this. I'm just glad this is what we got. Like we were asking as soon as that game ended, like find a way, I don't care (laughs) what the tiebreakers are, find a way to get this to be the rematch. Because I think Mm -hmm. it was clear by that time, midway through the season, that these were the two best teams in the PAC 12. And I'm just glad there were no wonky tiebreakers or random losses from either one of these teams that prevented us from one, seeing this rematch and two for it being for a spot in the college football playoffs i i think it's what we've desired out of this final season of the pack 12 i'm just very happy that it actually delivered and now it's just I, I can't wait to sit down on friday night uh and watch this game i get to go to
1: a high school football game on friday night so i will be uh eagerly i'll, 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 I'll slide in your
0: dms and keep oh, you updated let's do it
1: man i love it <laughs> no it's gonna be a fascinating matchup i think at the end of the day, this feels like a football. What makes it most fascinating is, is just this fact here. This is the reason I picked Oregon in the first game. It's the reason I might pick them again. I, I don't know. I, I don't. We're not going to make picks on this show, but the Ducks have the edge in a lot of different categories. The third down percentage points per game, uh, most all defensive metrics, yards allowed, whatever. I don't care. But the clutch factor of Michael Penix has been truly a revelation like they they have won a lot of these football games they won against washington they beat oregon state like a lot of these games they've won because of just the up here of michael Penix. and like i've used stats and figures and whatever crap i use it and i picked against them because of it i picked oregon state to beat them i picked oregon to beat them um i think those are the only two games i actually picked against washington but they won both of them and I did it because I was looking at stats and I was looking at a lot of things that say, based off of the numbers, this is what's going to happen. This is what I think is going to happen. But the thing that is incalculable is just that I got ice in my veins category. And that is what Michael Penix has been for pretty much the entirety of this season. Like people, say, people point to the eight wins in a row by 10 points or less. And they say that's a detractor. They say that's negative. What that tells me is that you got a dude. You have dudes on your football team. And Michael Penix is the ultimate dude. You know, like I, I said this when I was talking about Jordan Travis. You have the ultimate dude on your football team. I think Michael Penix is the is is truly the biggest X factor in this game. Some people might say that's lame. He's the one of the best players on the field. Oregon has the edge pretty much decidedly in every category. Oregon has all the advantage coming into this game. They have all of the momentum. They're a team playing at their best level. What they don't have is Michael Penix. And I think Michael Penix, if Washington's going to win this game, they need him to be Superman
0: again. I, I agree with if Washington's going to win this game, Penix is going to step up. I just find it funny that you're talking about Washington's biggest edge being against the guy who's potentially winning the Heisman. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just, and I know what you mean. Yeah. I get it. in between it, the lines there. It's tough to gauge Bo Nix because he hasn't necessarily been in some of the situations where he's had to step up the way that Michael Pennix had. Yeah. I know what you're saying. It's just funny that Bo Nix well, is sitting thing, on the though. ledge the here of a Heisman.
1: Like I, I pointed to, to to a lot of the reasons why they lost the game the first time they played. Yeah. Both of those, all three of those things, could have been prevented by Bo Nix. Like, am I wrong? Like, Yeah, I think thing, it's a Dan two. Landing issue. Yeah, yeah, I think Maybe you're Maybe it's wrong. a Dan Landing issue. Maybe they went for it on the wrong situation, whatever. But the thing is, if the dude on the field makes the play, like, at the end of the day, if the dude on the field makes a play, we're not talking about it. This, we're having a different conversation. And I feel like Michael Penix, if put in that situation, would have made that play.
0: I don't know. Is it a terrible play call when you should be kicking know. a field goal? I mean, you Look, tell I mean,
1: me. Like, I'm speculating at that point. But, you know, I think it makes for for just truly a fascinating <laughs> the, the, the
0: other thing that's, that's special about this game, and not that the other games don't have some of this, mm-hmm. it's the only one where it's a true winner uh, take all. Uh, and what I mean by that is – There's no scenario where the winner's not in. um, And there's no scenario where the loser's not out. um, In my opinion, at least. Um, You know, there there are scenarios for all the other games where maybe it only matters for one team. The other team, they can win the conference championship, but they're still not getting to the playoffs in regards to Louisville or Iowa or Oklahoma State. Uh, There's situations where, uh, you know, if, if Georgia loses, they may still get in. I don't think you have that here. I think this is a true... We're pushing all in. Everything's Mm -hmm. in the middle of the table. Loser leave town match. Uh, These are two teams who hate each other too, which I love. And it's the one that kind of kicks us all off. Remember, this is a Friday game with the rest being on Saturday. And so for it to be a standalone, to get things started the right way, uh, man, Garrett, I just could not be more excited for this one. Look, Alabama, Georgia is incredible. This one's pretty close up there in terms of my excitement level. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's going to be a
1: great football game. I have very little feel as to who's going to win this game. If I had to make a pick, I'm probably going to pick Oregon because the numbers tell me that. They're just the playing better football decided. right now. They're just playing better It could be wiped
0: away Friday night, but, but right now, at the uh, end of they're the day, playing better football.
1: But at the end of the day, what you've done to this point, it doesn't Brilliant. matter anymore. Yeah. Nothing matters. All that matters is if you win on Friday night, and for these other teams, win on Saturday night. And yeah. and we're going to be right here on College Football Overtime discussing all of those matchups and everything that happened and all of those repercussions after we decide who is going to be in the college football playoff. I feel like we're going to have a lot of those answers by the time we wrap up on Saturday night. It makes for a fascinating group of games. I am so excited uh, to sit down and really watch these. And that's before we even get into those group of five matchups that are truthfully also pretty exciting in and of their own right. We have two teams who are potentially playing for a chance to go jump into a a new year's six bowl. And I I think for those two programs, I mean, it's, it's an exciting potential into their season. And uh, look, it makes for a great college football season. I'm very excited to take part in it in whatever little part that I have, but we're going to discuss it on Monday morning. Make sure you're right back here with us. So subscribe, get those notifications, make sure you hop in, make sure you like this video, drop a comment, tell us what you think. We love it. And that's the important thing. Get us wherever you find your podcast. For those of you listening on podcast, make sure you also drop a rating for us. I really appreciate all of you for jumping in and listening. We are College Football Overtime for Abe Gordon at Abe Gordon on Twitter at Gchapatl on Twitter. My name is Garrett Chapman. We are College Football Overtime. We will see you on Monday morning, right after all of this news drops down. I can't wait. I'm so excited. The college football. The climactic ending is finally here. For Abe Gordon, I'm Garrett Chapman. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again soon.